We have heard the parable in today's gospel concerning salvation of the obstinate Jews who refused it, of the once rejected Gentiles who welcomed it, and of the unfortunate ill-clad man who was rejected and cast into hell. The salvation of souls is the assigned work of the Catholic Church. Whatever else she may do, whatever other services she may offer mankind, whatever forms of enrichment she may contribute towards the temporal and earthly happiness of humanity, her one driving objective is to cleanse, sanctify, and save souls for eternity. This essential aim of the church, once so prominently set forth in catechetical efforts, in preaching and apostolic labors, has become overcast somewhat by distracting pursuits and secondary aims. The church now often dilutes and diffuses her energies and resources for subordinate causes which, seen against her predominant purpose of saving souls, must pale in significance. Good works, no matter how noble and abundant they may be, are not the reason for the church's founding, nor are they its essential work. They are rather the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in action by those who have been redeemed by Christ. Absent the spiritual vitality of individuals through the sacraments, apart from sanctifying grace, all social action or cultural advantages of the church are void. They have no supernatural and everlasting significance. It appears that the clergy, and not only the laity, have muddled what is the primary and the ancillary purpose of the church. And this results in the loss of a transcendent goal for her activities and an impoverishment that afflicts the church's membership in a diminishment, if not deprivation, of divine grace. We must not lose sight of the primacy of salvation of our own souls and along with them the salvation of as many others as we can assist. But what is the price of a soul? What must be done in order to win it for God? How often I wish I had the answer to this question. What would it cost to convert a sinner to a state of grace? Might it be so many masses offered, so many rosaries prayed, a number of fasts taken up, 
a sum of money paid out in alms. We do pray for a sinner to come back to the church, to return to confession, for a non-believer to discover Christ in his church. We pray, we make some small sacrifices, perhaps. But how much are we willing to do to purchase the needed grace of conversion. Of course, in the proper sense. One cannot force the hand of God, nor the free will of another, to buy the grace of conversion or sanctification, either for oneself or for another. Yet it is true that without our cooperative efforts, God does not act. And so the issue is estimating the needed sum and the willingness to pay it out so that God's grace will be given and will not be unavailing or ineffective. I think of the saints. For example, St. Maximilian Kolbe, who paid the full price to save a condemned man from being executed. Here, the good obtained was a temporal one, the prolongation of the man's life, although I'm sure that Colby had the eternal good of that man in view. The ultimate price paid was martyrdom, the substitution of his life to gain another's. Comparing the seeming worth of those two men's lives, Kolbe, the priest, the religious, the writer, and publisher, was clearly the greater, more important man. And he might have reasoned that by sparing his own life, He would have done the better thing for the sake of many others who would have benefited from his continued life. But in fact, his voluntary gift of life won many more souls for God than he would otherwise by the continuation of his priestly work in the concentration camp at Auschwitz. And so it pleased God to accept the price Colby offered, in his own words, for the salvation of as many souls as possible. And so I pose the rhetorical question to you. How dearly would you pay for the salvation, the conversion of another soul to Christ. Would you give up your home, money, your health, security, temporal goods, if these were asked of you as the price? Of course, this is only an oratorical device. But I mean to make you think 
how much you may or may not be doing for the eternal good of souls. The cure of ours, St. John Vianney, exhorted priests not only to pray and offer Mass, but to do penances to win souls for God. Is there something more we need to do to convert others, to bring back the holiness of the church, to make reparation for sin, and to avert the great evils which are daily falling upon us? These questions and this self-examination are meant to serve another purpose as well, to measure not only your charity for other souls, but also to make you think about what love you have for your own soul. How far would you go to secure the salvation of your soul? What sacrifices are you willing to undertake? What penances, privations, disciplines would you take on in order to avoid your usual sins, to keep in a state of grace, and to grow in the way of holiness? The devil has no rights over you, and yet you readily cooperate with him for your ruin when you commit sin. Can you not instead form a partnership with God so that the good he intends for you may be secure and lasting? The church offers you the saving means of Christ, a good confession, daily prayers, and freely administered penances which will help keep you undefiled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Next Sunday will be the external solemnity of the Holy Rosary for those attending the 930 Latin Mass. We have been praying the Holy Rosary for God to have mercy on our country, for the crimes of our people, crimes of so many kinds, the destruction of innocent lives through abortion, in the many who shamefully degrade themselves in perverse behaviors, in the manipulation of the underclass peoples, among other things. The Holy Rosary is our small payment made to heaven for divine mercy to achieve these aims. But let us also pledge our daily prayers and small sacrifices to spend ourselves more generously for the salvation of souls, ours, and those of our fellows.